and welcome to another virtual in the bunker uh, class uh, as we carry on through all of this pandemic stuff and continue to move forward. Uh, I'm grateful for all of you that continue to kind of hang in here with us each week and uh, I keep hearing from people that you have shared the class elsewhere and that uh, other people are getting to join us uh, along the way. Who would have guessed that uh, this is kind of where we would be at this point. Now as we actually get to this one, those that, that might be listening in, uh, believe it or not, when we, when we left off Paul in, the, Paul in the spring, then we launched in during this summer, we've been doing the promises of the fathers, and we've looked at it from a number of uh, situations. And today is the last class of the promises of the fathers. I think we have exhausted, there are no more promises. Uh, okay, maybe there's more promises, but we're about to make a major change in uh, what we're gonna do. Uh, as we took a poll, and where we're gonna go as we begin into the, the fall, um, what, where we're actually going now, um, and I guess we should have trumpets or fanfare or something that should announce uh, what were our new classes for this fall, but it is basically uh, this. Uh, starting next week, and we hop into fall uh, 2020, and we're going to make uh, fall 2020 better than spring and summer was, obviously. Um, the, our class is going to be the Old Testament through restoration eyes. The Old Testament as seen through restoration eyes. Now, uh, in order, you might be saying to yourself exactly what will he be looking at while we're doing uh, the Old Testament through restoration eyes. Um, from, the, from an Old Testament standpoint, I'm actually going to be using uh, several uh, reference books that are, that are out there. Um, I'm, I'm going to be using the, uh, I continue to use the NRSV uh, Old Testament along with the, the King James Version, but I find the NRSV is uh, very, very helpful in being able to clarify some of those harder to understand sections. Um, Robert Alter is a uh, translator that just was invited to BYU and spoke at BYU. And uh, BYU scholars have spoke very highly of a new translation that he has called the Five Books of Moses. Um, and, and Robert Alter's translation of this is, is wonderful. So. King James Version, NRSV, uh, Robert Alter's book, and then we're going to look at it through restoration eyes of uh, the Joseph Smith's um, uh, translation of the Bible, uh, the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, even, even the Book of Mormon can give us some insights into those Old Testament scriptures. I don't know if you necessarily recognize that Nephi and Jacob interpreted Isaiah differently than Abinadi interpreted Isaiah, and that the Savior had his own interpretation that varied from Abinadi and from Nephi and Jacob. They tended to take the same look of, book of Scripture, and then based on the information that they were trying to portray and the things they were trying to do, they will work with those prophets. And by the way, I fully believe that the way Jacob and Nephi saw Isaiah and his writings is not necessarily the way that Isaiah saw what he was writing and who he thought he was writing to. 
So that's part of what restoration eyes do. It is greater light and knowledge that comes to an existing text um, that unlocks it for us and we have ongoing light and knowledge that's being provided for us as, as we do that. So that's going to be our goal uh, through this fall. Uh, should be kind of a fun uh, journey, I think, as we do that. Okay, now, um, as we start today, uh, I want to talk for a second about uh, idioms that we find in the scriptures. Sometimes, and it's an idiom that gets used over and over and over, and perhaps we don't even recognize because we've been heard it so often, we don't necessarily put it together, and this is one of them. God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her. Okay, now stop for a second on that. When you look at God remembered Rachel. Now, in a, in a general sense, you might say, well, did God forget Rachel? No, wait a minute. He's God. He doesn't forget. But we keep coming up with these things where he says, I remembered this and I remembered that. And, and you think, well, this all-knowing being is forgetting things, forgetting people. And, and so we start looking at this idea of remembering and saying, maybe remembering is not exactly the way that we see remembering. And maybe it is, and, it, and if we understand remembering, then we can see better what the Lord is doing with his prophets and with his people. I think it's one thing for us to say, I remember who starred in Lord of the Rings. Ah, yes, yes. And it's just simple knowledge. Or we may say something like, oh, wait a minute, I remember that it was so-and-so's birthday. Meaning, by remembering it, it impels me to do something. Remembering requires action on my part. And, and as we talk about, we're going to talk about what the Lord, how the Lord deals with remembering, how we then deal with remembering, and then what it requires of us to remember. Uh, so, now, in order to do that, though, I want to take just a second and kind of go through just a little bit of the mechanics of memory because you're going to find that the way that it works for us might be a little similar to the way that it works uh, with the Lord. Uh, so let's kind of walk through this. So when we talk about remember, we're kind of talking about a re-memory. It is something that, we, that was in our mind, but it has been re-memoried. It has come back to us. There's that, we're going to find that there are three parts that come with remembering, if you will. Uh, the first one is that when, when we remember something, first of all, it calls on our brain to recall. Recall is step number one. But what's what is fascinating about recalling, the first part of remembering, is that in our brain we now know that uh, as the brain is trying to remember, for instance, the day you graduated from high school, uh, or your wedding day, or something like that. The brain has not stored things digitally in a way that it just will always recall with 100% consistency each time you, you remember. It, these are the stories of our past. These are events that have happened to us. Uh, 
and we're going to reach into our brain and we've watched on MRI scans as people try to remember and you watch the brain pulling from different parts of the brain to reassemble a memory. Uh, so what that means is that we begin by uh, we, we view our past, things in our past, through the window of our present. So the other thing that's going to happen is, is that you are remembering your past and stories of your past today. And what we have found is that if you're in a really good mood and things are really great and you're loving life and everything, and you remember some things from the past, you will see that a little differently than if this has been a very hard week and you've been depressed or you're stressed or you've just come off of a major failure and then you remember the past. You, it, it slants it. It frames it differently based on how you are doing uh, today. Um, now, that's why memories are reassembled. I call them Lego memories. Memories are reassembled every time that we recall. And part of that means there's going to be some contamination in those memories because you're going to be remembering things and you might have had similar experiences to what you're remembering. And those two kind of combine a little bit. And so sometimes our memories aren't as accurate as we think we are. And as I've, and as I've said before, if you're not sure that's true, sit down with one of your siblings and talk about what happened on a certain vacation years ago or what happened on a certain Christmas day and see if each one of you siblings don't remember the same events differently. I know when I talk to my kids and we bring up certain things they were all there, we were all there together and they have different memories of the exact same thing. That's because we're in the process of reassembling those. Uh, so the other thing that affects how we remember and what is is our audience that we are retelling our experience to. If it's inside our head and we're just reliving something and we're talking to us, we will remember and tell that story differently than if we're telling it as part of a sacrament meeting talk. Or you're doing it sitting around the campfire and your audience, and we're just relaxed and stuff like that. So our present situation determines a lot about how we recall uh, that memory. Now, think about it for a minute. Of all the events that happen in your life, how do you tend to remember one event instead of another? Well, what we have found is that in our memories is that we have all of these life events that occur. And they're stored in our memory, but they're not all stored in our memory. Emotion ends up being the binding agent that binds a certain event and it binds it to our brain. And maybe another event, like what you had for lunch two weeks ago, it has no emotional significance at all. You didn't even take a picture of it with your phone and you don't remember it at all because there was no emotional connection and the brain says no need to store that thing. So we do know that what is being recalled however accurate or inaccurate that thing might be it is accompanied with uh, the binding agent of emotion 
that connects that to our brain. So, what does that mean? When we recall, these are the stories of our past. And then what, uh, the next step then is that when we recall, because there is a motion that it, it's couched in, that contains in it, like a, like a shell on top of a kernel, then we're actually going to react to it. And we're really reacting to the emotion surrounding the event of our past. If it was a happy moment, um, then what's going to happen is that we tend in the present to have an, a, a happy experience, even in the present as we recall wonderful things, as we look into our mind palace and we remember wonderful moments and they are they're locked in there and we have emotional impact in our in our own life. But what happens if that emotional impact is negative in nature? Researchers at Berkeley tell us that if you're having your a regular day and you're remembering your recall leading to reaction is of somebody who hurt you or you're recalling a grudge that you still bear. We know that in the present moment that you're remembering the past that your amygdala will fire down to your adrenal gland and it will send a little bit of stress chemical into your body. Your heart will hiccup a little bit. Then they can watch, they can watch the heart react to a grudge from years ago. And that's going to have a deleterious effect on your heart or on your blood pressure. Our body is being adversely affected by our recall and reaction to past negative events. The, so the best way to say it is our stories, our remembering has a definite effect on our moods of right now even on our physical health of right now. We are affected and reacting to our past. Now, if, that, if that's going to have an effect on us, then the third part that goes with basic uh, understanding of memory is the fact that after we react, we will respond there is some action that we will take. And it might be just as simple as we smile because it was a happy recalling. It might be that our heart hiccups because we're reacting to a negative impact. But there will be some response. Now sometimes, like we are just saying, you might say, oh my gosh, it was uh, my, my grandson's birthday today. I forgot. Now I have remembered. I'm going to recall it. Oh, it's his birthday. I got to react. Oh, oh, there's some anxiety there because I want to do something for him. Respond quick. Go, go buy him a candy bar. <laughs> go do something. We, we, we have to, there has to be an action attached to it. And that is really what happens in our remembering as we're telling stories. The response will be our actions and our choices. And it can even be as simple, brothers and sisters, is in as we get ready, uh, if we're, gonna, we're asked to speak in church, 
or we're asked to do some kind of task. Do we remember that we're good at problem solving? Do we remember that we're horrible at math? Do we remember and recall that we don't like doing certain things? Do we remember and recall the last time we ate a bowl of ice cream, we had a pleasant experience, so we respond by getting another bowl. <laughs> you know, there is with remembering, rememory, an injunction to act for action's sake. And that is the basis, I think, of when we start talking about the Lord when it comes to his remembering. It's not so much about that the Lord forgets, because he doesn't forget. We trust that he remembers. And not just because he says, ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I made a promise to Abraham. How foolish of me to have forgotten. The act of remembering is the act of action. It's the act of a response that says, in my recall, reaction, responding, I'm going to fulfill some action that I promised that I would. And if anything, what we've tried to do through this summer is keep taking a look at promises where the fact that we worship, brothers and sisters, a God who remembers and acts. And when he makes a promise, he keeps them. And he follows through on those. And that's how we're able to have faith on this being who loves us and who follows through on what he does. So, if we take a look then at the process of God remembering, how does that look? Well, he reminds, generally, he's going to remind. He hasn't forgotten, but he will oftentimes remind his prophets or he will remind us. And if he reminds, he's going to remind us of his actions and his promises. He wants us to know and remember what he did and what he will do. The second thing that becomes so critical, I believe, about worshiping a God who remembers is the fact that he reacts to his past actions. Not just reacts, but, but as we were talking earlier about the fact that so much about remembering is the fact that it's going to activate things in our mind. And specifically, we respond emotionally. Now, as we're going to talk about uh, starting next week, um, and by the way, don't forget next week, I've got a little something up my sleeve for uh, next Sunday's class that I think you'll, I, it'll be different. Yeah, and, and you'll like it and you'll go, Oh, that's, where he, that's what he was doing, so don't, don't miss next week's. Um, anyway, what happens is, is that when we take a look, as we start walking our way through the Old Testament, through restoration eyes, we're going to push back against uh, a view of God that was very much held in the Middle Ages, especially under uh, Augustine. And it was this belief of a sovereign 
God who was so far above us that he was removed not just from time and space, they, they believe, but he was, he was removed emotionally. That he, he really, the only, the emo, only emotion they might uh, give God during the Middle Ages was, okay, he's always mad. And he's going to be angry at, at what we do. So there's always this angry, uh, justice God who's going to punish these, these uh, foolish mortals that keep doing stupid things. So they have him way up there. Uh, similar to what the and it really is, is the stoic God that Paul was running into on Mars Hill where he's really really removed he kind of created it and then went away and we're just all here and, and all that okay um, and, and so they, they tried to separate it we're going to study especially as we get into the Pearl of Great Price we're going to understand the depths of which the, the God that we worship, not just uh, re, re, uh, recalls, but when he reacts, he reacts emotionally. That in what the Christian world called the incarnation of Christ, his embodiment as he came to earth, and they recognized that he had highs and lows and emotions and the Gospels certainly bear that out. But then when he's gone back into heaven, then he's, then he's above it. The Pearl of Great Price says, no. This God in yonder, encased in yonder heavens, to use Joseph Smith's words, feels deeply. And the more that we become like God, the more that we begin to feel and have emotion like God does. And, and, and part of that is that remembering process. We'll talk about that uh, a little more in just a second. Because what's going to happen is that he's going to respond. Uh, and when he does that, he remembers and he responds with actions and choices. Now, a good example of this is really when uh, in the, the book of Luke when you have that Lazarus has died and he comes and, he, and uh, Martha's going to run out to meet him and she's crying and she's saying if you'd have been here he'd have survived and it says that uh, the Savior groaned within himself the King James says he groaned within him And then, he, and then it says that the Savior wept. And as he wept, it was enough, and it was enough of a weeping in the, in the very Jewish way of mourning, which could be loud and, and full-throated. The surrounding Jews said, Oh, how he loved Lazarus. Because they saw a very emotional human reaction. Even though Jesus knew that he was about to raise him from the dead, he saw pain and suffering in those that he loved. And he wept. That is the God 
that we worship. Okay? So, in Luke 1, well, I, I, I love this. This is as uh, Zacharias, after the, the, uh, the blessing of uh, John, uh, the Baptist, as a baby. And then we get this great psalm coming from Zacharias. L listen to this. He's going to say that John is coming into the world, prepare the way for Jesus, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us. And then he says, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. When God remembers, what does he remember with? Mercy. When God remembers, it is a merciful remembering. And that is, that is his action that is led by the fact that he recalled. So that the oath which he swore uh, to our father Abraham will be fulfilled because it's going to be about mercy. Now, I do find it interesting. Uh, when we get to uh, and, and when we get to Nephi's writings, he's going to add one more piece to this remembering, I think. Because here's what he's going to say. And he inviteth, he says, this God who remembers, all to come unto him and to partake of his goodness. And he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, he is no respecter of persons. He will accept all of them uh, to come to him. And then he says something interesting. And he remembereth, recall, react, respond, the heathen. And all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. Well, Jew and Gentile aren't heathen in this, in this sense. The Gentiles had their paganism. Jews had the law of Moses. Heathen had a whole other meaning. And what it would really mean is these are people who don't believe in God at all. These are heathens. And he says, God remembers them. And again, this isn't just, oh, that's right, they're there. Oh, I forgot that there were heathens. He said, no, he remembers. Recall, react, respond to those heathens. What does that mean? Well, I think, I think it puts an interesting onus on us. Uh, some interesting questions. So the Lord remembers and responds like answering prayers or acts in response to... The desires of our heart. Um, so he's going to react and respond to righteous Latter-day Saints. We're going to remember him and strive to keep his commandments and we will have his spirit to be with us. Does God remember, react, and respond to sinning Latter-day Saints? who in many aspects of their life may have very righteous, kind, loving desires in, in their, their walks of life. They're doing some things that they shouldn't, 
but other aspects of their life, they are kind, caring individuals. And their desires are to do good. They are very much like the string of lights we were talking about last time, where there may be one bulb that's out, but the other lights are burning brightly. So let me take that one step farther. Does God remember, react, respond to Jews and Muslims and Buddhists? Does God hear the prayer of a Buddhist who desires to do good? Yes, he does. He responds to the righteous desire of their heart. However, they see God. He's responding. What about though agnostics and atheists who don't believe in him but he still responds and reacts to their, their righteous desires to be kind. C.S. Lewis in his book uh, uh, about discovering joy talks about somebody that he knew uh, that was a friend of his and, and, he said, and he makes an interesting statement about him. He says uh, he, he uh, forgot his faith, but he didn't forget how to live. Which I thought, well, what a remarkable statement. He may have turned his back on his faith, but he still lived with kindness and fairness towards his fellow men, is what C.S. Lewis is trying to say. So sometimes his, the Lord's remembering is with people that don't remember him at all. And don't even acknowledge that he's there. He remembers the heathen, those that don't re remember him. And he loves them, he responds to them, and he reacts to, to the, the desires that, that they have. I guess what uh, Nephi is trying to tell us that he does respond and love and remember those that don't remember him but still try to do the right thing. Okay? Now, along that line then, uh, let me take us back. I was very touched by this. Uh, in, in the October uh, uh, 2018 conference, uh, Elder Robert Gay talks about the fact that uh, he had a sister who had made some rough choices in her life, had left the church, and, and had, uh, had a family. Her husband left her, and so for most of her life then, she was outside the church struggling, uh, and, and then she was dying, uh, I believe, of cancer. And Elder Gay was asked to come in and give her a give his sister a blessing, uh, and kind of uh, <coughs> send her off uh, and tell her that it was all right for her to go home and release her to die. If you recall in his story, what he says is, as he put his hands on her on her head, he says. At that moment I realized that I had too often defined my sister's life in terms of her trials and activities. 
As I placed my hands on her head that evening, I received a severe rebuke from the Spirit. Ouch. I was made acutely aware of her goodness and allowed to see her as God saw her. Not as one who had struggled with the gospel in life, but someone who had had to deal with difficult issues I did not have. I saw her as a magnificent mother. Imagine having this flash just before you can give her a blessing. I saw her as a magnificent mother who, despite great obstacles, had raised four beautiful, amazing children. I saw her as a friend to our mother who took time to watch over and be a companion to her after our father passed away. During that final evening with my sister, I believe God was asking me, can't you see that everyone around you is a sacred being? And I think he would add, and I remember them. I, I, I recall the uh, when, when C.S. Lewis was actually asked to preach a sermon at a church, he gave an incredible sermon called The Weight of Glory. And in that, in that talk, The Weight of Glory, he said, if you could see the, the very common people around you as God sees them, you would be tempted to worship them. If you could just see them for who, how they really are. And again, even if they can't see that themselves. Elder Gay then goes on to actually quote uh, Brigham Young. And he, here was Brigham Young's response. And it's funny that Brigham Young is often seen in kind of a harsh, stern light as he kind of tried to create out of the desert uh, a, uh, a Zion. I wish to urge upon the saints, Brigham says, to understand men and women as they are and not understand them as you are. Don't see them as a function of you. See them in their own setting, who they are. How often it is said, such a person has done wrong and he cannot be a saint. We hear some swear and lie or break the Sabbath. Do not judge such persons, he says. For you do not know the design of the Lord concerning them. Rather, bear with them. And in, again, in this context, we could say, the Lord remembers them. Brothers and sisters, I think that's quite a challenge for us. That we, that we have a couple of injunctions. One is our own sacramental promise that we make every week that we will remember him we will do our own recall the Lord react with love or gratitude or thankfulness for everything that he's done for us and then he asks us to respond by keeping his commandments if you love me keep my commandments so that I may bless you with a greater outpouring of my spirit as a result of your responding to
to me and remembering me. He asks us to remember a lot. But somewhere in our humanity, I think it's also incumbent upon us to see everybody else that the Lord is remembering as well. Especially maybe those that don't and can't remember a God and he's far from them. But they do good. And they do many things out of this internal light that they don't even know where that comes from. They just do it and they feel better as a result of that. The Spirit has blessed them with a knowledge and a light of Christ that says that was the right thing to do and they feel good about it. Even if we disagree with some of the things that they do. Brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that we remember that we remember a God who remembers and he remembers us and he will respond to us and he reacts to us and that we remember his remembering with our own response and our own reaction both for him and for the people that he loves in whatever station they may be I bear you my testimony that the Lord intends us to do that. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.